Abi Adiv is the founder and CTO of Xylotech, a company focused on AI-driven analytics that businesses can use to help efficiently retain customers and reduce churn. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Abi explains what all of that means, and he dives into how the field of machine learning will continue to grow. Enjoy this episode. This podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Did you know that Salesforce isn't just for sales? Using Salesforce as an employee experience platform helps make every employee across your organization more productive thanks to a common mobile-first platform for getting work done faster. Find out more at salesforce.com slash employee experience. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I mean, Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And on the other line, Abby, how's it going? Great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to great to have you on the show. Uh, we are really excited to talk all things AI. We're going to talk about automated machine learning, and we're going to get into your background a little bit. First, how did you get started in technology? Yeah, no, absolutely. So I um, so I grew up in India, and you know, as you can imagine. Um, India had a kind of a pseudo Silicon Valley and I grew up in that city, did my early schooling in Bangalore. So I was super excited, um, like listening to, and my, my, my family has been more from the defense. So I grew up in a military base, but then I was in Bangalore. And then this world drew me a lot of attention in terms of like, what does it happen? What are these, you know, hundreds of people in Microsoft working out? these big, large, fancy class buildings. So I was always curious about that and kind of hanging out with some engineers. I ended up choosing uh, computer science, my undergrad, and, you know, that blew me away and how magic happens. And when I came to U.S. in late 90s, um, I realized the importance of storytelling more than just coding, which means that the 50% of the battle is really articulating the problem. And I somehow felt that it's not just a bunch of codes, but it's a whole process. It's a whole machinery, you know, which works all the way from identifying problems, how that can be solved. There was no fancy word like design thinking and things like that, but the whole ingredients of all of that, the respect to how you start from, you know, a problem, defining it, articulating it, and then solving it with a combination of not just tech, tools, people, process, a whole bunch of things is an amazing feeling and gives me an instant sort of um, thought that maybe technology is where I'm going to play my set of wits. Uh, it's all about building stuff. So I like doing construction building. Let's do software building. So I'm sorry for my long answer, but that's, that's what I felt. Yeah, no, no worries. Uh, I love to hear how folks got, got started and everything. Um, so flash forward to Xylotech. What was the reason that you saw some white space and, and started building the company? So Xylotech is my um, second startup, and my background is at work with, you know, General Electric, again, in the customer analytics area and financial services and things like that. And then this was also a time when the relational data 
was moving into this whole big data noise. And that kind of blew me away as both an engineer as well as with my product background, startup background. I thought this would be really cool because all this while we have never seen, you know, an easy and faster way of getting customer data, the raw form, they're all getting unified, they're all getting sort of collected and you get to get the insights, which maybe a business user need or marketing needs. And it's all about that kind of pipe, you know, for just from raw data to all the way to sort of actionable insight, it, it, it'll be meaningful. And being a, being a data scientist background myself with a little bit of staff understanding and with customer analytics, uh, product building experience, I thought the only reason, the only reason we've been not being able to do this because this whole data engineering was very um, slow. And no matter what a data scientist could do, the magic and everything, it all turns out to be, you know, bad data or messy one. And then you need engineering dependencies. And then there's big data, but you you got to move together with a sort of data engineering mindset. But you being a data scientist, it's a, it was an interesting problem. So we thought, how about we build customer analytics in a box, which not just help you unify data, find you the right data, do the appropriate feature engineering, could be automated feature engineering. And this could be, in those days, people started talking about a lot of ETL pie. We thought, you know, if we could somehow bring customer analytics in a box with a smart data and decision pie, which is constantly coming up and self-evolving, working out and kind of closing the loop, sort of a thing that would be so cool so yeah i mean this was uh instantaneously a sort of a lab project so post graduating with my mba i did work with the csale lab and you know work with really smart postdoc phd had a lot of labs within mit so it was really blown up at how this could be done given my domain expertise and knowledge about some of those things, and we started as a sort of a consulting project, academic project, and then over the period of pride, uh, we build this enterprise-grade product. So, um, yeah, a little bit longer, but <laughs> the natural evolution of Xylotech. And why the name Xylotech? I've been I've been curious. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> it's it's a little it's a little funny story. We actually was called earlier as Data Xylo which goes back to the story I just talked about. Data Xylo is like, you know, we found some Greek variants of Xylo with the XYLO. So it was data Xylo, which means the data which moves really fast in a wooden hollow, you know, which is kind of really fast, you know, in terms of insight. So that was the logic. And it's really hard to get company names these days with especially data as a prefix <laughs> suffix. So we started with that, but then we, Never, you know, secure trademarks and other things with data Xylo. And some point in time, a large suggested, hey, guys, you got to get rid of data somehow and probably going to make it more meaningful. So by the time we had at least one or two customer, and then we thought, you know, how about still maintain the Xylo? But instead of X, we kind of made it at Z because a lot of people writing us at Z. So we took it as user feedback. And we just end up getting Xylotech. So, yeah, that's why we were Xylotech now. Pretty excited about that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And you have a ton of involvement 
in the MIT startup labs kind of world. Was that something that has kind of like inspired you over the past few years as you were building the company before the company, um, you know, being involved in that way? And and you went to MIT, you got your M- MBA at MIT, right? That's right. Yeah. So is, I mean, like, what's that kind of culture? Like, I know a lot of folks that we have on the show are kind of in and around Silicon Valley, but not as much kind of on the MIT labs you know, side of the country. And um, there's just so much innovation that's happening there. I'm, I'm curious kind of why you wanted to build the company uh, on the East Coast and kind of your connection to MIT. Yeah, no, I'd lived in both East and West Coast and my previous company was West Coast based. But, you know, um, I realized MIT is, is such an interesting place. And I'm not the first guy saying that, but it was pretty exciting experience, very refreshing so everyone thinks very uniquely, differently, which uh, which was very complimentary because coming from a real world experience definitely helped. So I met really interesting people who've been looking up some core infrastructure problems and core build up. But I realized that there's a lot of talent actually in and around MIT, but also Cambridge and the whole machine learning space and which was instant hit or sort of thing. And I definitely want to get involved with MIT giving back. So I started volunteering um, with this global startup lab and with my previous startup experience, it was exciting to get along with complimentary team. And, you know, I, um, I joined another uh, few folks out of uh, CSAIL, the lab, computer science, artificial intelligence lab, post my graduation and kind of volunteered as um, starting this initiative called Global Startup Lab, which is all about teaching discipline entrepreneurship in not just in different geo, different countries, kind of taking that whole hackathon culture where come up with a problem, form a team, look for what's the technology, work on the workflow, and then come up with some sort of a minimum viable product, you know, all working. That simulation and kind of move fast, break things, um, just got an instant draw. So, you know, we did this for our company with this bunch of various side projects. Um, and at the same time, you know, living on the West Coast, I realized that, um, well, it's a massive place, geography very spread out. Maybe it was kind of my good point coming here and somewhere we're, we're a mini town. So you want to do some meetings, you can do four meetings, five meetings, six meetings in a day. Unlike West Coast, <laughs> you, you got to go from one place to the other and you know, you're done. And those are some of the kind of non-significant points, but I wanted to hang out in this place and not just launch the company, but um, I found a lot of interesting early people who helped build Xylotech here. So we're all here and we thought, you know, it's an interesting place and could be a good differential example of being doing machine learning space back here um, and going West Coast and, you know, um, looking up from a complete ground up uh, team and people. So. So I want to get into some of the automated machine learning topics. So why do you think that there's a huge opportunity around automating what people see with their customers? Because I think, you know, and we we talk about 
the power of machine learning and what AI will be able to do in the not too distant future. But what are you seeing now on the platform and what are the type of you know impact that you're seeing from your customers? Yeah, no, that's a really interesting one. Um, Cause you know, coming with a data science experience for almost a decade, and we all know that we've all heard this several times that how data science has been overhyped and end of the day, um, we end up building R&D labs and, you know, sort of workbenches or analytic workbenches. It's very rarely we're seeing a lot of businesses, be it marketing teams, be it, um, you know, different customer analytics teams being utilizing some of those insights uh, into day-to-day sort of course correction improvements and things like that. Part of that reason is, you know, this whole analytics or data science piece is a very ad hoc project, which means that, um, you know, any analytics team kind of work on a problem, work on any ad hoc analytics projects, then look for different models. And then, you know, data scientists work through finding out the right data, then playing, tossing around with various, maybe, I don't know, like several algorithms and, you know, then coming up with the best one and by the time there's new data and then the business changes, data changes, it's always a constant piece. These days, you know, talent has always been scared and need has been ever been more. And it's, it's more than, you know, sometimes talent with a lot of young people who is kind of available, who has played around with logistic regressions. Sometimes it's a combination of the domain knowledge and the problems you're solving, the architectic skill to design skill, and then programming skill. And these kind of multicultural, multi-skill set has to work in a language where they all understand each other uh, has never been so challenging. So we thought, why don't we think through certain industries? Think of insurance, think of retail, and think of what does customer analytics means? You know, would you care about a model like an LTV? Would you care about cross-selling, upselling? Would you care about, like, think of all that. So we brought in a lot of domain knowledge and by each industry, by thinking through if I had to do everything in the customer analytics space, and if I'm an insurance industry, you know, what would that be? So we build, you know, thinking from there, and then we thought, uh, what's an ideal data set? You know, well, there's none, but then we created like industry, you know, an ideal schemas and thinking and imagination and thinking of product thinking. And from there, we thought if we could do automated feature engineering and with embedded models, these models are kind of self-optimized with, you know, sort of what we call ourselves is we crack the code there a little bit in terms of embedded models, which are self-learning and kind of reinforced learning piece uh, in there. And then anytime you sort of go into an account, you implement, you get the data, you got the feature engineering, you got the embedded models all working in tandem and it's constantly evolving. So even if you have limited data, you could start off, there's more comes in, you know, there's always an accommodation. So not just about Xylotech, but you know, off lately we've seen 
auto ML, like Google came up with this term, you know, and we were using it before that, by the way. Um, but there's a significant need of some bit of automation in this pipe. Like people have been just automating the model building part, but we've been thinking this all through from data sourcing to unification to integration, then all the way to models and then output. I feel we looked up customer analytics as a problem. Like people who's been seeing this as a recurring thing, as an ongoing thing for solving different problems, like market data has all the problems where they call about how do I sell more? How do I personalize more? How do I um, make my customer experience more contextual? This is like a permanent need. This is an ongoing need. This is, this is what they, you know, they've been doing and they want to improve this day in, in and out. Well, there could be other things where this could be applied. This could be applied in clinical trial. This could be applied in, you know, supply chain. This could be applied in various different industry. Um, it's all about you have to figure out what that, you know, sort of models would be, what those features could be, how would they come, and, you know, automate that whole pipe. So, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's take a step back, too, because I think um... – to the origins of auto ML that you were talking about there, like how would you define auto ML and kind of when did you were saying that Google came out with, uh, or started talking about it recently and you all were talking about it a little bit before, but for our listeners who don't know, what is auto ML? Yeah. So we had this natural, you know, we, what we were looking at is that if you're building a machine learning model, could you build an automated workflow to build a machine learning model in the customer analytics space? So that's how we, when we started, we were positioning this. So we say, look, it's automated machine learning powered customer analytics. So that was our sort of narrative. But seeing Google and some of the other company and data robot and some of these, what they kind of say this that Look, you know, you don't have to like code a brand new algorithm. Like there's a library exists and all that you have to find is, you know, find the right data, features, tune them and use our sort of, you know, pre-built models, kind of, you know, algorithms, which gives you the best output, whatever is the best works out for the solving the next problem. But again, their version of AutoML still requires, I understand that you could be a citizen scientist and you could be a business user who can do a little bit of easiness. You've not like hard coding the algorithm and those kind of pieces being automated. But you still need to have that kind of knowledge of what data, what feature, how much tuning, you know, and a lot of those things. Before, like, how would you imagine a school grad or maybe a marketer? You say, "Well, we got to solve this problem of, you know, cross-selling." What would you do? So you'll go to a, you know, a library like Google or maybe Data Robot and some of the others, and look for what's the pre-built, you know, algorithms, and then you look for the data, and then you'll bring that data in into them, look for the best output, and then you deploy some of those things. So it's still very DIY, but part of that model building is kind of automated. Unlike our piece, which we thought, look, 
you know, since it's customer analytics, so the universe of the model is being defined. There are multiple of them, and they have multiple algorithms, all of that. And there is this whole, you know, ETL pie with data unification and, you know, data standardization, all those kind of thing, and ID resolution. So every unique customer is being assigned a unique ID, so it tags back, and those features are associated to those IDs and those features are automated feature engineer to these embedded model. So that whole ETL or kind of data and decision pipe is in motion is what we call it as the whole automated machine learning process, which could, you know, you can take a part and say this is automated too. Well, both is good. So what are some examples of folks that you've worked with where they have kind of some of these, you know, and I think a lot of the, the technology leaders that, are listening are thinking about, you know, obviously they have database, they have cloud, they have third party, they have all these different things. Um, you know, this idea of how do we take insights from all of that? How do we enrich that data and how do we actually use it, you know, in Salesforce or in wherever to, to be able to, you know, leverage it. What are some of those things from the customers that you're working with that are able to see some of those, see their data or, or enrich it in some way and then ultimately be able to take action? Right, right. This is a great question because most of our customers are large enterprise and they have a lot of data science in terms of talent. Yeah, so that because that was one of the things that you had mentioned in the past was basically like, Essentially, there's a, a lot of the time that data scientists, oh, here you go. The majority of data scientists only spend 20% of their time working on data analysis. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you're spot on. So what we meant and what we've seen with some of our clients is, well, they have these internal team and, you know, you definitely need to build an R&D culture or data culture and analytics and analyze and consume every data point so that you can improve your business. But like I said before, you know, these are more like projects and sometimes there are, you know, like finding out what's working, what's not, and more descriptive, sometimes predictive, uh, but not so much prescriptive because, you know, you need a constant flow of data, constant flow of insights, do hundreds of A-B testing or permutation combination because the nature of the data flow, the way the end customer data is getting generated and the way it is being analyzed and consumed is a huge disconnect. So what we are seeing with some of our client is while they're doing all the projects and analytic projects and they have R&D team and they're doing the core part internally, and we call them as defensive strategy, but they're also working with somebody like us for their offensive strategy to help their business leader have an impact or an ROI within two quarters, three quarters, you know, with, they want to make sure that their customer experience, when a customer comes on the website, you know, they get a very contextual offer. You know, those projects, those contextual offer evolves and they get updated as the behavior data from the back end is changing or somebody does something and it, it's constantly evolving. So that persistent ID and that persistent, you know, behavioral change by each customer ID is kind of very interesting or complementary. And in some cases, in some clients, 
the internal data science team actually helped us validate that part because you know you have to understand that some business think well this i've been listening for so many years maybe my data science team does this and then they realize well it's not the data science fault it's the data fault and sometimes you don't have this you don't have that but it's not really happening well the internal data science team sometimes champion us because then they love the fact that in this whole long data decision pipe if they've done this in a fully flawless automation then you know they can also focus on some of the other things using some of our insights which are more deployable because there's so much business can do if they're getting that all feed in you know so it works out pretty well and we've seen this in few clients like one of our clients apparently most of them are pretty innovative but we also have some clients who never had an internal data science team like zero and they kept thinking that well if i want to do the customer personalization or build analytic practice i probably had to start with hiring like 20 phd's or building up this analytic bench but it's constantly changing so we just want two accounts very large um midwest one large grocery company and the other consumer brand you know who never had internal data science team and they just had like two people in data science but they're going with us but we've got two largest tech companies or a client where they had internal data science team of 100 plus people who's doing a whole bunch of thing and they use our kind of feed and they also innovate further in product development some of the internal r&d projects but then the sales and marketing uses us within their you know crm and marketing automation or whatever the marketing tool they've been working on so we've seen different scenarios different clients but uh yeah that's how i like summarize that if that makes sense yeah that makes sense i mean do you see do you see this getting more complex as we go forward you know with hybrid cloud and how many different types of you know especially like you know you've talked about the martech stack and obviously you know whether it's any type of uh you know technology stack you're having individual business units that have a ton of different types of technologies you know it seems like this is going to get more confusing before it gets better yeah no you're you're so right and we see this happening every now and then i mean if you look at this whole kind of pipe thing and i look at i i usually articulate this as 3d's you know the d for data management then decision management then delivery management so when delivery management is all about the mock tech and ad tech and the bi and the presentational layer of what's the call to action to be taken and you know there's there's so much innovation happening there and it started like ever since from there because you know business user understand what they see they're more visual so there's so much investment happen around top of the sort of delivery layer and things like that but then people start realizing well well all these kpis and all these dashboard doesn't mean a lot because you know it's not leveraging all my data so i don't trust these kpis and then people start focusing a lot on the second d which is decision you know and then they are a bunch of data scientists all this while and they've been sitting and you know analytic work been started and then they realize well they don't have data so people have made disproportionate amount of investment in the decisions even before having the right data and then 
just came in like, oh, you know, we need data. So got to invest on data management and big data and data engineering bandwidth. It's only like off lately they've been happening so much in the data. And then, you know, earlier data started with like, oh, you know, data prep. So I want my business user to be the data prep provider and, you know, things like that. So it's constantly evolving situations. Sometimes it's data management, sometimes decision, sometimes delivery management. In some companies, you know, one of those things are more stronger than the other. And then they end up start digging into one thing and then they realize, oh, wait, you know, we don't have that enough and we got to invest in that. Constantly within these Ds, there are like a lot of subcategories keep popping up and, you know, within decision like you said, well, we need a machine learning platform. Then you realize, oh, wait a minute, maybe now it's auto ML. And then within data management, you're like, oh, you know, I want to invest in MDM. You know, that'll be like single source of truth. And then suddenly you said, no, wait a minute. MDM is for everything. Well, CDP is for customer data. So you're so right. It could be pretty, pretty confusing with people because of just because it's constantly evolving. So one need to really see between these three Ds and see what's, what's really required, what, what's the problem they're solving you know, most immediately versus long-term and then make those choices with the right combination of people, tools, and processes. But the exciting news is it's all getting more and more easier while it's getting complicated with the categories. But if you see the amount of education, you know, and CDP is a great example. I've seen people who heard the word CDP like one and a half years back. And now they're like pro and all that they're pro is because, you know, all these analyst firms and customer and webinars and the resources tool is so much, there's so much education. Like CDP is a great example of how education has come up a long way. I know there's still a lot of frenziness and everyone is just calling something and it could be confusing. You're right. But you know, we're seeing a lot of these champions at the customer end are more nowadays younger folks who had been a hands-on MarTech user and who does their own research. So at one hand, it's getting complicated, but on the other hand, the customer awareness is unprecedented. The whole education bit is unprecedented. So. All right, let's get into some lightning round questions. These questions are fast and easy, just like the Lightning platform from Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash build mobile apps to learn more about building apps on the world's number one CRM, Lightning Fast. Just like these questions are about to be, are you ready, Abi? Yes. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? Google Maps. What is your favorite vacation spot well has to be in a caribbean island i always get confused between which one but yeah how about favorite use of chatbots that you've seen recently i think drift is amazing we use that it's great oh nice what about a favorite book or podcast that you've read or listened to recently well the one i'm talking to is definitely one of the <laughs> best um Fascinating to be here. That was an easy one for me. (laughs) Appreciate it. 
favorite uh, vacation spot that's, or excuse me, not vacation, but one day getaway spot around the Boston area? Yeah, it is uh, Maine. Um, so love to go for hiking sometime, a uh, two-hour drive. Uh, it's fascinating. Thing you're most excited about going forward for technology? I think the emergence of AI and the way, you know, my mom, my grandma, somebody can use and kind of appreciate when they talk to Google and then talk to um, some of the Siri and, you know, these AI stuff, uh, kind of chatbot and kind of voice modulation, the world quality is so exciting. I think we're just halfway through and maybe there's much more coming in. So I'm really excited about the AI emergence. As a current CEO, but also a former chief technologist, what would be your best advice for a first-time CTO or CIO? Yeah, great point. So um, I feel that I wouldn't say all the, you know, you need to be well-read and well-fed and have the right team, right people, and be awesome. I feel today we live in such a noisy world where all that you got to manage is, you know, yourself. So self-awareness is one of the most critical advice. I feel like that helped me, that helped a lot of my peers, it'll help some of the greatest guys I've worked with in the technology space. Really excited about that. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? Yeah, that's a good, that's an interesting one. Well, let me think. (laughs) I, I think nobody asks, you know, uh, most of the time that, why are you doing this? You know, <laughs> why? sometimes they're like, oh, is it because of that big exit or is it that because of innovation? Like, why are you doing this? Like, you know, why? Like, I understand the start point and I understand the passion and things, but that that's pretty fascinating. But maybe it's, uh, it's, it's just a way of putting this through, but I, I just felt like, you know, having that question every year is interesting. It's not just a one-time question like, why are you doing this? But why are you doing this now? Why <laughs> Life changes, you know, and things happen. So, I love it. Well, this has been an awesome time having you hang out. And uh, I need to hear before you go, what is the why for your team of uh, why you're so excited to get up, uh, get up every day and work on Salatech? Yeah, no, I, and uh, you might have heard this um, thing viral, uh, a Japanese ikigai movement where, well, it's one thing you're making an impact in the world, you're really passionate about, you get paid well, you know, you have some fun, it's not the boring stuff, but, you know, I, I kind of personally believe in this ikigai thing uh, where, you have this combination of these three, four things. And then if the common piece of vector there is, is, is what makes you wake up every morning and be supercharged and get back to work. And, you know, let's, let's go build this. Let's change the world. I love it. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, any, uh, any final things, anything to plug? No, I'm, I'm, I'm glad uh, we had this. And thank you so much for inviting me. I uh, thank you for your time. And it was, it was really fun. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks so much for hanging out. 
Thank you guys. Bye bye. Thanks again to our friends at Salesforce. Did you know Salesforce isn't just for sales? Using Salesforce as an employee experience platform helps make every employee across your organization more productive thanks to a common mobile first platform for getting work done faster. Find out more at salesforce.com slash employee experience.